0: Hi guys. Uh, t- today we're here with uh, award-winning authors, Mr. Sergio Troncoso, um, and he. This is actually his second time is uh, is it at the Society of Skeptics, um, and he's the author of multiple books, and uh, including The Last Tortilla and other stories, and Crossing Borders, personal essays, as well as the novels The Nature of Truth and From This Wicked Patch of Dust. His work has also appeared in many uh, uh, in New Letters. Yale Review, Michigan Quarterly Review, Texas Monthly, Dallas Morning News Review, uh, Literature and Arts of the Americas, and Newsday. And one of his most prominent works is a short story collection called A Peculiar Kind of Immigrant Son. And the concept, and he explores the sort of concept of the immigrant outsider. And uh, so my name is Daniel, and I'm DB. And so, and today we're just a little, we just want to talk about like what. Got you into writing, um, in the first place. Well, I mean, I I,
1: um, I always loved writing when I was your age um, in high school. I was a, in fact a um, high school reporter, and so I loved, and I became editor of my high school newspaper, and and I really started getting into writing more professionally when I went to um, when I went to school as a, in college and in graduate school. I grew up on, along the Mexican border. I grew up very poor. And one of the things that I noticed as I was going, I went to Harvard and then I went to Yale and got a couple of graduate degrees at Yale. And I did not come from an Andover-Exeter background. Um, it was a very different background. But what always bothered me was, I did not see the stories of the border, for example. In uh, libraries and bookstores. And so I wanted to write the stories of my family, I wanted to write the stories of the places that I knew in El Paso and Isleta. And, uh, and so that's kind of what got me into writing. Also, my grandmother was a great uh, oral storyteller. Yeah. And, um, and so I just listening to her stories was really uh, what, what started getting me into storytelling. And then that later morphed into writing right. Do you have any recollections of those stories that your grandmother used to tell you? Sure. Some of them were violent. A lot of them are violent. She grew up, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the Society of Skeptics. She grew up as a teenager during the Mexican Revolution. So she uh, had shot and killed two men who attempted to rape her. She was a 16, 17-year-old. And so she, that was her, you know, she would talk about her little ranch in Mexico where Francisco Villa would come in, there was a revolution going on and the revolutionists would take over the town, take over the, the banks, uh, take over the men, conscript young men and force them to go in the in the army in one faction or another and take over the women if right. they allowed themselves to. So. Um, these stories were kind of violent and exciting, and of course, as a kid, I loved them. Um, they were real, she was also, a, you know, she would stay for hours smoking her cigarette and drinking her coffee, and telling these great stories about her life. And they were true, that's the yeah. best part about it. It wasn't a superhero, you know, with a mask on or who could throw a spider web at you. Yeah. It was this woman who was amazing, and she was my grandmother, and had survived this this difficult period in in, in Mexico, and um, and she was a great oral storyteller. So so I think that's that's the kind of stuff that I would hear from her uh, as
0: a as a kid. Yeah, I think some of the like these great stories are always embedded in the truth, and it's really good to pass that on. And like um, your your book, um, a peculiar kind of immigrant son is sort of all about you growing up as. Um, Uh, in, you know, um, your story. Uh, Could you give us a brief synopsis for our listeners who aren't, like, uh, so familiar with your work? Sure. So it's
1: it's a collection of 13 stories, and they've appeared, about half of them have been published before. And they're all linked stories. Mm -hmm. So one character that appears, for example, in the first story, a guy named David Calderon, for example, will appear in the next story from a different angle. And so so the reader will think, oh, I think I know this character from reading the (coughs) story, but then you read the next story, and it's a very different, it's the same character, but in a different situation, and you'll see, wait a minute, I thought he was a good guy over here, but maybe he's not, or maybe there's another um, angle to him. And so I'm really influenced by a philosopher, I don't know if you've read him, uh, Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, yeah. uh, he's heavily into perspectivism, mm. and it just really means that it, we're all many different selves, you know, I am the self that grew up poor along the Mexican border, I'm also the guy who now teaches at Yale yeah, creative writing, I'm also a husband, I'm also a father of mm. two boys about your age, and so yeah. we all have different selves within us, and, and my playing with these uh, stories and these characters appearing and reappearing in, in these different stories is to really challenge the reader to think about the biases that they themselves bring when they're reading a particular story because right. when you read a story mm-hmm. you you some some people say oh yeah. i'm gonna like this guy or i'm hey. gonna like this woman or this female character and So one of the things that I, as a storyteller, am always interested in is the software that the reader, him or herself, brings to any work. You know, in the software, meaning the biases, either for or against particular characters, particular stories. And, And so in this collection, they're all about immigrants. It's all about different kinds of immigrants, and immigrants going beyond the border going beyond Texas and California, but going into Connecticut, going into New York, going into Massachusetts, and trying to find their way, and some of the immigrants succeed and some of the immigrants fail, but it also gives you a different angle of who you think the immigrant (coughs) is. Mm -hmm. Like, they appear in one story and then in another story, the same person, the same character, but appear from a very different light. Or even from, from someone else's point of view, like, right. if I asked uh, D V, mm-hmm. you know, who you were, and then I asked you who you were, mm-hmm. you might give me very different yeah, responses. And so this
0: is, in many ways, doing that same thing, but through storytelling. Right, yeah, there's absolutely, like, you come in with this bias or predisposition of, like, be- based on your own experiences. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, my grandfather was a teenager during the Korean War, uh-huh. so... He also suffered, like, a lot of hardship and a lot of, like, struggle. So, like, when I would ever talk to him about it, he would be kind of reluctant to bring it up because he, I feel like in some ways, judge feels like I would judge him for what he's had to do or what he's had to experience. So do you find that a challenge when you write about the perspective of other immigrants because you feel that other people will judge these immigrants in such a bad light that their bias will not leave them? but will actually faster more.
1: Well, I I would, in in my mind, writing, you want to write, because even if you're writing fiction, you should be writing a true character. Somebody that that resonates with the reader that is not, um, you know, that is not uh, fanciful. So I I think it's, it's actually better to write something true because one of my things that I have always said in many places, and you'll hear me say it when I talk to the audience tonight, is that even though, let's say your grandfather went through hardships and Mm -hmm. so did I, so did my parents, seeing what happened to them and seeing how they survived actually helps you survive in difficult situations today. So if you judge your grandfather because you know he did something awful or he, he, he was very poor. and I, you know my first job, for example, right. was carrying like chickens from trucks. Mm. Um, and you know, we did not have electricity when we started. But one of the things it does mm. when you grow up with hardship, it gives you grit. You want to know how to succeed at Harvard and Yale? It's that. It's having toughness, It's having grit. And my kids, for example, uh, went to Collegiate, you know Collegiate? Collegiate is very similar to Blair Academy yeah. It's actually the oldest prep school in New York City and my kids because the parents did very well right. um, You know went, went there and I tell my my kid. I said you guys are too soft yeah. You do not know what it is to work work until you want to faint mm-hmm. And then do it again the next day and then do it the next week and then do it for months and then do it for years So that kind of work ethic, that that toughness, that grit, is much more important to success in life, Um, whether you go to an Ivy League school or you become an investment banker or a lawyer or a writer. And so the toughness and the difficult stuff your grandfather went Mm -hmm. to and then my grandmother went to is is actually a good lesson that if if a reader, and a young reader, especially like yourself, is, is reading this story, instead of castigating that thing, oh, you know, this Mm -hmm. poor sucker didn't have any electricity Mm -hmm. and was carrying chickens. If the storytelling is done right, you'll see a good lesson learned from that toughness, from that grit, from that challenge Mm -hmm. that your grandfather faced or that I faced or that my grandmother faced and overcame Mm -hmm. because everyone has those challenges. And when you were young, you assume you'll always be in a nice place and... The United States will always be growing and happy, but wait till there's the next depression. You know, wait, you know, the stock market crashes. Or all the things you had, right? It's happening today. You know, and all the things you had, suddenly, poof. And so, what's going to happen to you? Are you going to be one of those that sits in a corner and cries? Your grandfather wouldn't cry. Mm -hmm. My grandmother wouldn't cry. She would get to work and get to solving the problems that she has when you're in a tough situation. So there's a lot of good lessons to learn Mm -hmm. from those kinds of stories. You know what I mean? It's not just putting them down and, and feeling like, you know, there's... There were poor people who didn't know any better. It's really um, lessons for you Mm -hmm. if you are open-minded enough as a a reader, as as somebody interested in life. Mm -hmm. Because everything will not always be nice and pretty. You will not always have a nice laptop. Um, You don't know if the Russians are going to destroy our electrical grid. And then suddenly you have to start farming for your own food rather than going to stop and shop and just buying a piece of meat. You know, and so... This grit, this toughness, will be very useful for you in the okay. future. Mm-hmm.
0: So that, that, that that's what I would say. It's okay to write tough stories. Well, yeah, I uh, personally, uh, my parents are also immigrants who came here and made their way up through education. And um, they sort of um, gave, gave me these opportunities, like e- educational opportunities, like coming to boarding school, um, t- so that... I wouldn't have to go through what they went through exactly. to like f- like this toughness, right? right, building this toughness, but in a sense, by knowing where I come from, that sort of imbued me with a sense of like I know what my parents went through, I feel sort of indebted to them, I feel grateful, but some other parents would are like want their kids to never go through what they would sorry, never go through what they went through before, so there's sort of like that you know difference in opinion like if well it's true but let me just tell you one thing
1: parents don't control the future right nobody knows when you're going to have another great depression no one nobody knows when you're going to have another world war Mm -hmm. and young men will be called up on a draft yeah you know your parents don't control that i don't control that and and you know it happens no one wanted pearl harbor to happen and it happened where no one wanted the Great Depression to happen, but people, you know, um, spent in excess and right. had that, that, you know, that those economic problem. And suddenly you're faced with something you didn't expect to have. Even like 9-11. Right. I mean, I was there during a 9-11. I'm not sure if you guys were around yet, but no. but nobody expected it. Nobody wanted it. And certainly the parents don't want that for their kids. Mm-hmm. And I understand it. I, I have, have the same feeling were my kids. I want them to have a better life than I had. But I also know that there are all sorts of curveballs that are thrown in the future that you do not control, that your parents do not control. And and so I also thought it was important to teach my kids this toughness, this work ethic. Because when, you know, let's assume the stock market tomorrow crashes another 5,000 points. And then, you know, you will you'll see what will happen. A lot of people will start panicking, and then it'll crash another 6,000 points. And all of a sudden, something you did not expect to happen, a life you did not expect to have, you're faced with.
0: Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, just going back to, like, what the immigrants have to experience when they come to America, right? Right. what do you think is one aspect of being an immigrant that people often overlook or have misconceptions about?
1: Well, that, that they don't belong. You know, that uh, whether, you know, if you're an Asian immigrant or if you're a Latino immigrant, a Mexican immigrant, that you don't belong here. I think that's a misconception. I personally believe that immigrants bring in <coughs> the quality um, that... Um, the pilgrims problem. the very first immigrants to this country, who were refugees from England, escaping religious and political persecution. They were tough. Imagine living here in New Jersey, or Connecticut, or Massachusetts, mm-hmm. without electricity, with the cold winters outside, having to shoot your own deer, and eat them, mm-hmm. and and then, you know, have all sorts of other problems. They were very tough. And, and so, in my mind, new immigrants are renewing the United States in that spirit Mm -hmm. of the United States that made this country great. They're not actually destroying it. They're actually Mm -hmm. renewing and remembering what it took uh, people who had nothing, who started building roads when there were no roads, Mm -hmm. who started building industry when there was no industry. And so, in my mind, that's, the biggest misconception Mm. that somehow they're seen as outsiders and antagonistic whereas really they should be welcome because they're renewing the
0: American spirit. Does that make sense? Right. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Alright. Well, we're sort of out of time um, but it was was great talking to you. Um, I thought that was really insightful. Um, and I, I just wanted to thank both of you yeah. for inviting me to your podcast. Um, You're your excellent interviewers. Yeah. Pleasure's all yeah. mine. Yes. And his. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that'll be all for today's segment of our Society Skeptics interview. We're the Academy Talk Show, and we'll see you next time.